Welcome to the Fire Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and in this episode, we'll be talking about improvements for training classes at the NRA. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every fire instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10. This episode is brought to you by the ConcealedCarry.com business directory. Did you know that you can get a free listing for your instruction business on ConcealedCarry.com? Visit biz.concealedcarry.com and add your business for free. It will be searchable online and to potential students who use the ConcealedCarry.com mobile app. Claim your listing today. Today, I'm joined by Frank Tate who is a write-in candidate for the NRA Board of Directors and NRA Training Counselor. And we will be talking about improvements at the NRA uh, that he's he's hoping to uh, promote if he gets on the Board of Directors. Welcome, Frank. How are you doing today? Great, Rob. Thanks for having me today. Well, it's re- really great to have um, a candidate for the Board of Directors because one of the things I think it's really important for members of any organization to do is be able to speak up and have their voices heard. And uh, especially with your training background, I think that's really important from the training community and the trainers that are out there because you know exactly what all of us are talking about because you're not only an instructor, but a training counselor. And when we talk about having to improve classes, when we're talking about, you know, going along and supporting the training and education department more, you know, with better funding, different things like that, you'd be a great candidate for that. Mort, so I'm glad to have you on today. Yeah, so I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to share my thoughts. Great. Well, can you can you go along and give uh, our listeners a little bit of uh, where you came from and where you want to go when it comes to the NRA Board of Directors um, and and helping things helping things improve over there? Sure. So well, part of it's just a little bit of background on me and the NRA. I've been a member since '79. Been a life member since '91. Um, I became an instructor in 2006. Um, uh, part of it is I was part of a great group that uh, had a uh, instructor development program where they brought people in and taught them how to be instructors, worked through an apprentice program. Uh, and then uh, you know, from there, got involved with other uh, training. Uh, I was an Appleseed instructor, still am, so one of their uh, equivalent of a training counselor, uh, then became a training counselor for the NRA to help teach instructors. Um, so one of the things I've always been through my career as a teacher and a mentor and being able to help develop instructors to and range safety officers to, uh, to to help the community better understand, uh, grow the firearms community uh, with safety and education. Uh, to me, it's always been important to me. And uh, the, the fact that I can go out and I've been in the education world for 40 years um, in uh, higher education and K-12 education. And so one of the things that I have uh, to bring to the table is adult learning theory in terms of how do you help and do a better job of creating instructors that do a better job of creating students. And so for the, NR, for the NRA, in terms of how I got involved with the board, um, uh, I've been a friend of Adam Krauts for years. I think Adam was a reform candidate trying to get things done for the, uh, uh, for the community. Uh, one of the things that really uh, got me going was when uh, the uh, NRA carry guard got started and they started the blended classes um, and to me, they just totally changed the way education and training had been working. Um, and I was very frustrated. And I actually stopped 
teaching pistol classes and stopped certifying pistol instructors uh, because I was very frustrated with what's going on there. And then, you know, when we met was at the uh, Indianapolis meeting uh, mm-hmm. back in tw- back in 2019, uh, where I was chatting with uh, Adam Kraut and Josh Prince and uh, Rob Binkus, and they were saying that they needed somebody who would be willing to step up and uh, uh, and run for the board because Adam had reached a point where it wasn't going to be appropriate for him to run for the board anymore. Um, and I was at the point where I was ready to retire from my day job. And so I was like, I'm in, let's go. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I brought to the table that Adam didn't is I have been a board member of organizations for over 20 years. Uh, so as an example, I currently sit on seven boards. Mm-hmm. So I understand how a board is supposed to work. And I look at how the NRA board is running and it's not doing its job. Uh, and so to me, the organization needs to get focused back on serving its members, uh, not protecting uh, people from their inappropriate uh, actions. Um, I think leadership has been in place too long. You need term limits. You need transparency. Uh, and you need, account- you need people held accountable for the bad decisions that have been made. And, you know, paying back $300,000 is a step in the right direction, but it's nowhere near what needs to be done uh, to get the uh, the house clean so that we're the leading light that the NRA should be for the firearms community. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Especially you bring up uh, carry guard because I know that was, um, you know, a big uh, factor that a lot of the instructors out there that were teaching NRA at the time uh, saw or, you know, experienced it because, yeah. you know, that was carry guard was strictly a marketing program for it. Uh, it wasn't coming from the training education side. And I know I had some uh, conversations with the training education people at the, um, uh, down there, at the Atlanta, uh, annual meeting. And, uh, it was, uh, it was very uncomfortable and, um, not happy that the carry guard went down the way it did because it cost the NRA a whole lot of money and still is uh, costing uh, yeah. the, the uh, NRA money, but at the same time, it also, I think, um, shows what could be done if money was invested properly in the training education division, because I understand carry guard, um, in those two years it was out, they spent a little over $10 million on promoting it. And I got caps at Atlanta. I saw all the posters at Atlanta. I saw all the magazine slicks and everything else like that. And if they had that kind of support, on the training education side, I think, um, that would really help the instructors as well as the, uh, the people that are running training education currently that are, that are doing a great job, but just need better support, mm-hmm. um, all the way around. Yeah, well, I think the part of it is they're understaffed. So the people that are in education and training, uh, uh, I, I think they, as you said, they do a great job. They mm-hmm. don't have, they don't have enough people, um, because the modernization of the pistol program, uh, moving things into PowerPoint, it's going in the right direction. You know, upgrading the graphics, uh, getting things more consistent so you don't have a test here that doesn't connect to the student manual, that doesn't connect to the training, uh, to the trainer's guide. And now that they're all together, again, good steps, steps in the right direction. They need to go faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think uh, the, the, the other thing is they don't get any technology support. Uh, because you know, there are changes that should be simple things to the website um, that uh, I know they've been asking for for years. And, and for whatever reason, uh, NRA management is not giving education and training any priority uh, for work from their technology group. 
I believe there's six people in the training and education department right now. And to give you kind of a idea, they're supporting close to 144,000 instructors, range safety officers, training counselors out there across the United States. And when you go along and divide six into that, that means, you know, literally each one of them are supporting over 20,000 people uh, a piece and not to have some support uh, along those lines is uh, it's not, it's not a good thing. Um, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd really like to see them go along and, and have a staff that they could go along and really have the best website out there to, you know, to support the training yeah. that they already have and also put in the time and effort into building courses that would, uh, fill the gaps in that, yeah. you know, are there, you know, current currently in, in their curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we go, you know, last year we had, we had a segment on talking about the new NRA concealed carry course, mm-hmm. and that's great. That's good. But at the same time, you know, there needs to be like a, a concealed carry two course. There needs to be some inconsistencies, um, you know, resolved in the, in the curriculum and go along and publish a, a, the book for the NRA concealed carry course and make sure that course is recognized across the United States uh, for all, all the, you know, concealed carry uh, uh, requirements uh, state by state, because some, some of the uh, states, require you to have NRA pistol and, you know, doesn't require you to have NRA concealed carry to teach a concealed carry course. And that would be a, that would be a real good move in the right, in the right direction. If they got the NRA ILA to also go along and, you know, say, Hey, besides just being NRA certified, make sure they're NRA concealed carry certified if they're doing concealed carry classes. So they really truly understand, uh, more significance than just going along and doing some bullseye shooting uh, for it. No, that, that's one of the things I think they, the structure of the concealed carry class is uh, I like the flexibility in it. Um, so like in Pennsylvania here, we're pretty straightforward because, you know, to get a license to carry in Pennsylvania, you have to be over the age of 21 and pass a background check and that's it. There is no training requirement. And so CCW is something we do for people to give them the confidence to carry successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to be going out to Indiana in January and teaching a class, and there's a little bit more stringent requirements in Indiana. Uh, I do some work in Maryland, which has very different rules, and I like the way that the modular approach of CCW lets you tailor to the unique requirements of the state. Uh, like in Maryland, to get a wear and carry license in Maryland, um, uh, it's um, again CCW is a great program to be able to support wear and carry for Maryland. Mm-hmm. And that, and let's put it this way. If you're a NRA concealed carry instructor, you've had to pass a pretty stringent, probably the most stringent uh, instructor course that the NRA has come up with so far, yeah. because you not only have to pass a written test, you not only have to mm-hmm. go along and do teachbacks, but you also have to be perform the drills under yeah. time and with accuracy, which is, you know, not something the NRA has really been well known for. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you see you know, if you run across somebody that's NRA concealed carry, that person has got to have some good pistol craft behind yeah. them. They're, they're just not a, a good shooter that can sit there and take, you know, their time and make shots at somebody who can go, mm-hmm. you know, under six seconds and make, yeah. um, make, the, make shots count. And yeah. that's, that's where, you know, in a concealed carry situation, it's different from a bullseye competition. You mm-hmm. want somebody who's confident, you know, in drawing and moving, uh, hitting target and be able to go th- and be able to describe to the students that they're teaching what they need to do appropriately so that they can defend themselves in that, in that, you know, worst case uh, situation. Yeah, and, and this is one where I think USCCA, uh, while it's a competitor to NRA has been good for the NRA 
because it's made it's made education and training step up the game. Uh, because you know, USCCA has they, they had better material. The NRA material has caught up. You know, the CCW class you know mirrors what's going on. And I think one of the things you've seen is a lot of NRA instructors becoming jointly credentialed with USCCA. And part of that is the uh, uncertainty on the future of the NRA and people making sure that, you know, they've got the ability to keep teaching because they're building their business, they're supporting their community. I know I, I work with a group in Maryland um, that ran home firearm safety for 1,500 people in uh, three months last year before COVID hit. And it's all about getting people in the inner city familiar with firearms. And then it's a progression. You start them with home firearm safety, you get them into basic pistol, then you're getting in their concealed carry license. And the, the more people you get like that, the safer we make our communities. Yep. And that's, uh, you know, honestly, when you look at the roots of the NRA, the, the roots of the NRA is really going along and it's about gun safety and about, you know, having people that know how to use a gun responsibly mm -hmm. and uh, lawfully yeah. for it. And, you know, whether it's a pistol, rifle, shotgun, even, even muzzleloader, um, you know, yeah. they've got courses for all those. And yeah. I think from my standpoint, being a training counselor and your point being a yeah. training counselor, we just like to see them, you know, fill the need there because, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, requests. I know I've been at the annual meetings during mm -hmm. the instructor updates where we've asked about a defensive rifle, you know, carbine, yeah. you know, something along those lines, mm -hmm. because people are, you know, the AR-15 or the modern sporting rifle. Yeah. They're all over the place. People want to know how to use them appropriately, how to go along, shoot, not just yeah. at 50 feet, but, you know, at 50, 100, 150, you know, 200 yeah. yards and, you know, be yeah. able to uh, be accurate shots. And that's a lot different than going along and shooting, you know, bullseye at 50, at 50 feet uh, yeah. forward. And, yeah. You also have all the AR pistols and the AR9s, the nine millimeter mm -hmm. uh, uh, AR style pistols. Yeah. The pistol the cal caliber uh, carbines. carbines. Yeah, people are using them for home defense. And so to me, I think that's an opportunity for improvement in things like personal protection inside the home, you know, expanding that to talk about shotguns, to talk about pistol caliber carbines, uh, to be able to talk about even just uh, uh, AR style pistols, because people can do those. They're, they're shorter, they're easier to maneuver. They have more rounds to be able to defend yourself because you see some of these home invasions and, you know, some of the things going on with the riots you know, where it's not one person trying to break into your house, it's a group and you need to be able to protect yourself or protect your business. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's where, again, getting the back to where the NRA mm -hmm. is the source of, you know, mm -hmm. correct information when it comes to those types of things to get people to, you know, understand, you know, when's, when's, when's a shotgun the best thing to use for home defense versus a, yeah. you know, a pistol caliber yeah. carbine, a, you know, carbine, a, you know, you know, what, what's the different, you know, options there yeah, uh, and, I, and that's where i think it'd be really good if, if there was something where they could go and yeah. expand the training that uh, that instructors can offer along those lines yeah and i think that can get again it gets back to the resourcing that education and training has uh you know right now i think the nra is, is spending way too much money on lawyers uh and not enough in education and training because you know you talk about the 10 million dollars that was spent on carry guard is you know what programs could have been put together and and could be out there that are being that the instructors can take to the community, um, but I think the other part of it is uh, the IT support that education and training getting is is minuscule, you know little mm -hmm. things like you know we've been talking about getting basic instructor training as a class so that we can 
register and keep track of who's taken bit and when. Um, you know, being able to get all of the uh, certificates up online so you can print your certificates. You know, even for older classes. I mean, I had a guy reach out to me from a class I, I taught back in 2011. He's like, hey, I've moved to Florida. They want a copy of my certificate so I can get my license to carry in Florida. Uh, you know, and so, you know, fortunately, I had an old certificate around. I can recreate one for him. Um, you know, but being able to go back into all those classes and, and reprint certificates, that's a simple IT thing to do. Um, uh, even just something as simple as fixing the, uh, the emails to students. So I don't know if, if you're aware of this. Uh, if your student has a capital letter in their email, and if you go to use the email your students feature inside the NRA instructor portal, the email won't work. You have to go in and change all of the emails to all lowercase, and then it will work. I mean, that, that's just a simple, I mean, I'm in the mm -hmm. IT, I've lived in the IT world for 40 years. I mean, that's just a simple thing to go do. And, and you know, where, where's the priority? Uh, where are the resources from NRA headquarters to support mm -hmm. education and training? Well, you talk about reprinting certificates. Wouldn't it be great if there was a member portal to where members yeah. could go go in? You know, mm -hmm. you know, because there you have a member ID number. Yeah. They've got it, and they can see. Yep. You know, hey, I took a course from Frank Tate back in 2011, yep. and I can reprint that, or I can go along here and I can reprint one that I took from Rob Beckman. You know, two years ago. Yep. You know, those types of things are. Or if you need to prove to somebody here, I can print out all the training, all the NRA training I've had. And you know, have one one place to go along and get all that, get all that information. That'd be great. That's a fabulous idea. So, but but again, I think again, I think you've got you know John Howard and his team do a good job. Uh, they don't have a big enough team. They don't have the finance. They don't have the IT support uh, to do it. And you know, again, you look at what they're doing with pistol. And you know, I I teach mostly rifle and shotgun classes. Uh, and so, getting the material upgraded. Getting rifle and pistol, I'm sorry, rifle and shotgun upgraded the same way pistol is done. And I actually, you know, one of the things I believe as a as a training counselor is you need to keep your education going. Uh, so I don't know if you know Clint Macro, but yep. uh, uh, I just took Clint's muzzleloader class. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got certified as a muzzleloader instructor uh, because you know to me it's always good to go out and see how other training counselors teach instructors and do something that you're not familiar with and, and, you know, be, uh, go out there and really be a student and see how you learn and then take what you're learning and apply it back to all of what you're teaching. You know, the one thing you bring up muzzle loading, and uh, this comes up when I'm teaching the range safety officer course right. for the NRA is, you know, everybody thinks a gun is a gun is a gun. You know, I take mm -hmm. it and I pull a trigger and it goes bang until yeah. you get, get into the minutia of it. And yeah. you start realizing that pistol, you got to be real, real cognizant of the muzzle because of how easy and how quickly yeah. it can change directions for it. But then you get over in the rifles of, you know, you've got to be very careful about the rifles because especially getting the high caliber ones, they yeah. have significant, you know, kick to them. Uh, and you know, if you're not holding them properly, you can, bru yeah. you can bruise your shoulder, bruise your eye with, uh, yeah. a, a scope bite, different things like oh, that. Yeah. Even when it comes to a shotgun, it can be very, um, uh, painful lessons at times. If you don't, if you don't have somebody there who's, you know, mentoring you, showing you how to doing it. And it's the same thing with, um, muzzle loaders, you know, yes, yeah. they all go bang when you pull, pull the uh, trigger, but what happens mm -hmm. when they don't go bang? 
you know, right. how do you properly load it? Because muzzleloader is also one of the, one of the few things that you'll go along and you literally are forced to go along and put your hand over the muzzle so you can properly yeah. load it. But yeah. Yeah, there's ways of minimizing any potential uh, risk with that to keep yeah. it safe for you and the people around you because, you know, that's not the type of thing you want to, you know, start blowing up in front yeah. of you. And there are those little things, you know, when it comes to, you know, muzzle loading um, revolvers that, you know, you got to understand what, what's mm -hmm. chain firing and, um, yep. you know, shotguns and how you go along and, and actually do that. And it's a yeah. lot of fun. I know people that I do a lot of muzzle loading hunting and, uh, you know, it's, it's fun, but it's just like you said, you, we've got to do something to really stay on top of everything because muzzle loading where it was 20 years ago has changed significantly to yeah. where we've got, you know, a lot of inlines. We have a whole lot of mm -hmm. what I would call high performance muzzle loaders that are essentially yeah. exactly almost the same thing as a 30 odd six that you're shooting. And, you know, if you don't realize those differences and realize how to, you know, properly clean them, how to properly treat them. You know, you've got something that could potentially, you know, blow up in your face, just, just like, you know, a pistol or rifle or shotgun. Yeah. And I, that's one of the class. I, one of the classes I have the most fun teaching is RSO um, because I'm, I'm a collector. And, you know, one of the nice things about being a collector and teaching RSO is I can, you know, all the things I get to use in class, I get to write off my taxes. Um, and so I bring a, a plethora of different kinds of guns to show people. You know, all the different kinds of pistol actions, all the different kinds of rifle actions, the different kinds of muzzle loaders. And uh, I actually have the students go through and handle each one. So a rolling block, a falling block, a rising block, you know, uh, revolvers with safeties, uh, you know, going through and teaching them, you know, here's how you make sure that you know how to deal with this. You know, uh, some of the ones that are a little trickier with unique magazine releases like okay make that firearm safe yeah, how would you do that um, mm -hmm. and and then they're like uh and, and like okay here's you know so helping them understand all the different types of actions and um, breaking through their uh, preconceived notion that they know it all um, it says to me that's one of the things i think all instructors have to be all instructors in rso's is they have to be open to the fact that they're going to encounter something that they don't know and how are they going to deal with it? Um, and so to, to me, if they have that humility, when they leave my class, I've done my job. Yeah. And I think, you know, the enthusiasm that you and me just spoke about when it comes to teaching yeah. the NRA RSO yeah. course, um, yeah. I'm hoping we could have the similar kind of enthusiasm if, you know, if they expand it, the other courses, like you said, bring it all up to where the concealed carry yeah. course is. And then yeah. even there go along and come out with the level, you know, two and maybe level three classes for them to really yeah. take the, take the armed citizen or the, uh, or the citizen that wants to be educated yeah. and show them how to properly use a shotgun, you know, yeah. or, you know, what the difference is between shotguns, because, but that's why a pump action is different than a, than yeah. a, a, um, break action is different than a semi-automatic when it comes to a yeah. shotgun. Each one's got its pros and cons, yeah. um, each time. And the same thing with, uh, you know, carbines, rifles, yeah. those, those type. And, um, you know, if those are the type of classes that would be really good. Um, in fact, one of the things that I would throw out there too, it probably isn't exactly in the NRA wheelhouse right now, but try to team up maybe with somebody who does a like a stop the bleed class you know yeah. from a trauma standpoint i mean if you you know i've taken trauma classes uh t triple c and different things like that mm -hmm. and the main reason that i do that is not because i you know run on life life squad or anything else like that mm -hmm. it's because i'm at a range i'm shooting i'm going along and you know i'm 
I work out in the yard, you know, around flying mower, mower, mower blades, you know, from lawnmower, different things like that. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I'm getting up in age, you know, I could be having a heart attack, you know, I go out hunting and, you know, anything could happen. And, and I take things along with me to try to make it safe, but I won't, but I want to be ready in case something does happen. And I always go along and talk to my instructors about making sure they're ready in case something happens because on a range or in a shooting, it's very uncommon for somebody to get shot in any way, you know, at ranges, cause you, you rarely yeah. hear it. What n- normally happens is what you get bee stings. You get somebody who has a heart attack, a stroke, um, break a bone, you know, those types of things. And you got to know what to do in order to do no additional harm to them until nine one one gets there. And those yeah. are, th- those are things that, mm-hmm. you know, you want to have a complete package when you're an instructor, you know, have go along and understand the tool that you're using, understand legal, uh, consequences mm-hmm. behind it. And then also go along and under- understand the medical side of things. So if something does happen, mm-hmm. you, you know, and you are, you know, you fall down and hurt yourself or you, somebody cuts themselves in the kitchen, you can go mm-hmm. along and do things. Or if the worst happens and you're forced to defend yourself, you know how to take care of yourself and take care of your family. Um, mm-hmm. you know, in case, in case they're injured dur- during the confrontation. Yeah, well, that, that's one of the things you, know, you talk about. Stop the bleed. I think that's a phenomenal program, uh, and that uh, you know the, some of the clubs that I work at, we run stop the bleed classes multiple times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, as an instructor, you need to have a good medical plan. You need to understand, you know, what you need. So it's not just how you're going to call nine one one, but being aware of what's what. What are the human conditions you're going to encounter? So when I when I teach a class, you know, I always ask. Who has medical training here? Mm-hmm. You know, EMTs, nurses, physicians, nurses, aides, you know, combat, lifesaver, whatever. Um, and then I always ask, you know, is there anyone here with medical conditions we need to be aware of? Like, I'm diabetic. I need to eat something at 10 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and so I keep little, you know, snacks handy. So if I do that, then I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know what else is in there so that I'm aware and it's part of my plan. Um, you know, we, we do things like you know, we teach outside and, and the weather. And so in the summertime, this one range I teach at, it's an oven. And so we keep chill blankets available. And so what am I going to have? I'm likely to have heat stroke. You know, we've made water mandatory for all students. So anytime we teach a class, the instructor must provide bottled water for all the students and basically bring enough for every student to have at least three bottles of water. And so you want to force hydration. So, mm-hmm. you know, if the brain's properly hydrated, they're going to be operating at their peak uh, capacity. If they get dehydrated, that's when mistakes happen. That's when injuries happen. And then the same thing with cold. Uh, an, old, an old one of my instructors told me, taught me a great lesson. He said, before your fingers get numb and your toes get numb, your brain gets numb. And that's when accidents happen. So you need heat blankets, a way to get students warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll give you an example, you know, all the, you know, I thought I had a really good medical plan, uh, an emergency plan, we working out. And earlier this year in an indoor range, um, I had unburnt powder ignite on the firing line. I had nine students in a seated position shooting rifle, and then a, some unburnt powder ignited in front of one of the students. Yeah, I got a fire extinguisher there, but it's a it's a 10 BC extinguisher. And then this fire went through all the cracks on the range up to the target line. Uh, I, ha- I had to clear everybody out of the range. 
And we realized that the fire extinguisher that we had was inadequate because you'd, you'd spray the chemical on it and the fire would just race underneath to where the chemical hadn't been sprayed and turn on again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, it, it turns out that we actually needed water extinguishers to get that fire out because you had to soak the powder mm-hmm. that the dry, the dry chemical wasn't going to do it. So here's, here's just an emergency that we, you know, we had not thought about ahead of time. We adapted and were able to, you know, get the fire out before we had to call the fire department. And yep. then of, of course we, uh, went through and had that club seal those cracks in the floor. So it's not going to happen. <laughs> Not going to yeah. happen again. Well, but again, you got to ha- you got to be prepared for stuff yeah. like that. For those instructors who haven't uh, seen this or d- don't know this, um, yeah. if you're on an indoor range, there is yeah. burnt powder in front in front of the yeah. uh, shooting line, firing yeah. line for it. And as Frank talked about, if something ignites there, you know, for some reason there's yeah. a spark, you could potentially have a you know small fire. You know, and if there's yeah. cracks in the floor, they could be racing along, and or you could all yeah. of a sudden just have a small puff. Um, yeah. Muzzle loaders spew out you know unburnt powder as well as modern rifles shotguns and pistols and uh those are things that you've just got to be aware of and um you know keep uh keep in consideration i teach on an outdoor range so it's less of a consideration uh, for Mm -hmm. me but um i'll be doing an indoor class here uh next month and i will uh i'm gonna bring bring that up make sure people realize uh that you know that should be uh uh, swept up, you know, probably yeah. part of the time during the day. Cause, uh, one of the ranges here locally that, uh, that I've uh, gone to before there's actually a green haze on the floor. And I've asked people before, you know what the green haze is? It's unburned powder because yeah. it's, it's got arsenic in it. Arsenic's green and uh real, really easy way to tell how much powder is on the floor. If you start seeing green, it's probably too much. Yep. So. Yeah. And that's, you know, we, we now have a running joke that anytime there's a, uh, uh, and we do our emergency plan. Okay. Who's on fire extinguishers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good. You got, you yeah. got to have a plan, standard yeah. operating procedures, right? Yep. Uh, well, Hey yeah. Frank, before we get off to our question uh, for mm-hmm. all our, uh, uh, interviewees, uh, you want to give a one, uh, quick little, uh, shout out to why somebody should take and uh, vote and write you in for the NRA board of directors. Sure. So, so for the 2021 election, uh, the ballots will start coming in your magazine in January. It'll be in the February issue. Uh, for those that get their magazines electronically, uh, your ballot will come in the mail probably in February. And so what I, what I ask people to do is you have to go to the back page of the ballot. You fill in the dot at the top and you've got to put my name in there, Frank C. Tate, T-A-I-T, Wayne, Pennsylvania. Uh, if it's not exactly right, the uh, Politburo at the nominating committee will disqualify that ballot. Uh, when I ran last year, I got 55,000 people voted for me out of 110,000 who voted. So I was on one out of two ballots, but I still came in last. Uh, so I need about, I, I figure 80,000 people to vote for me to get me on the board for 2021. Okay. Well, you got my support as a candidate for the NRA board of directors and hope Everybody who's out there who's NRA member for at least five years or a uh, NRA life member will uh, do the same thing too and do a write-in on the back of the uh, ballot uh, for So, Well, Frank, we got a question for you uh, for all our guests. Uh, What what books you've been reading, websites, uh, YouTube channels, whatever, to to give give the listeners a little bit of taste of what you've been, uh, you keep yourself uh, up to date on? Uh, Well, I I am a, um, um, I read a lot. I think I've already read 80 books this year. Um, and so the couple that I've read recently for my personal professional development 
Uh, one is uh, from a guy named Donald Robertson. It's How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, uh, the Stoic Philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. Um, uh, to me, that's one that uh, I thought was, was helpful. Uh, another one was Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game. Uh, it's you know, how do you think about things as a process instead of an event? Um, and then what's the other one that I'm reading here? Um, Iron Sharpening Iron, A Biblical Guide to the God-Honoring American Man by uh, Paul Lefebvre. Uh, so uh, I'm still in the middle of that one. Uh, but the other thing I found is there's some great websites that that helped. Um, you know, I, uh, I've been on a, you know, I'm a, I'm on these boards. Uh, I actually mentor 14 people. Uh, seven of them are CEOs. And so how do you think as a leader? Uh, and so there's two websites that I really like. Uh, one is called From the Green Notebook. Uh, it's written by a group of military officers who talk about how they develop their officers. Uh, and there's some just great leadership uh, insights there uh, in terms of, again, how do you think? How do you approach problem solving? Uh, and then a lot of problem solving is based on negotiation. Um, and there's a guy named Chris Voss, V-O-S-S, uh, who wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. Uh, and then he and his uh, his family have a website. Uh, it's the uh, Black Swan Limited. Um, and that they publish a couple times a week, uh, just nice snippet blogs about how do you think about negotiating? How do you deal with all the challenges you have in your life? And to me, they also apply as an instructor, because how do you deal with difficult students? How do you help someone understand where they are and what they're trying to get out of a class so that you're getting them in the right class? Um, but uh, so things like that. And, uh, you know, happy to happy to share thoughts on uh, on more. But, you know, I figured I'd just leave it to a, a couple of books and a couple of websites. Yeah, well, that's that's really good, because uh, as a. As I ask all our guests that question, it's always good to see what people are doing to, you know, stay sharp, to improve themselves. And, um, you know, because shooting's one muscle, you know, uh, as we go along, we, you know, press the trigger, but you know, there's that muscle between our ears that we've got to go along and talk about, you know, the you know, decision-making and how to be leader, how to go along and be, you know, essentially a responsible citizen overall. So that's, uh, some unique things there. Well, hey, Frank, where can people find out more information about Frank Tate and uh, your run for the NRA? Well, uh, the easiest way to, uh, in terms of learning more about me, LinkedIn is the easiest place to find me. It's Frank Tate, T-A-I-T. I think I'm the only Frank Tate in LinkedIn. Um, and then uh, my website for the run of the NRA is tatenra.com, T-A-I-T-N-R-A.com. Okay, super. Well, I hope uh, everybody kind of goes out there and uh, takes a look and looks up Frank Tate and see what you uh, stand for. And if they like it, um, give you their votes. And hopefully maybe you can get up to that 80,000 people and uh, get on the board and help to uh, bring change around to the board of directors, as well as going along and having a uh, friendly voice on the board too, to, for the training and education to recognize the hard work those people are doing yeah. and also help them expand and go, uh, go into the areas that the instructors and training counselors want them to see yeah. and ha have the support to make things, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to make the NRA be that, you know, source of good yeah. common, uh, sense type of, uh, firearms and, um, build responsible mm -hmm. citizens for it. So that's great. Great. Well, again, Rob, thank you very much for having me on. It was great to chat with you and, uh, you know, happy to chat anytime. Great. We might have you on, on again after you're on the board. How's that? That would be good. <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks Frank.
Well, that's a wrap for this episode. We have a few requests for our loyal listeners. Visit our sponsor, Firearm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com. Check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having instructor insurance, both for you and for your students. And use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts at and tell other instructors about this. Remember, we are up past 100 episodes now. And if you're listening to us and enjoying what you're hearing on this podcast and your other friends are not that are instructors, pass it on to them. Tell them that, hey, you should listen to it on the marketing. Listen to them about the activism when it comes to, you know, what's going on at the NRA or USCCA, all the different topics that we've talked about in the last uh, two years. And, uh, you know, tell them it'll make them a better instructor. That should, that should motivate anybody to listen to us. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and like us on Facebook. If you have any input, questions, feedback, please email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com or leave us a rating on iTunes. Remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.